from the Mercy One Studio. Welcome, folks, to The Uncommon Good with Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr. Every week, diving deep into the truth of Catholic social teaching and restoring all things in Christ. The Uncommon Good is on the air. I'm Dr. Bud Marr. Coming to you from these United States through the miracle of technology, back with our buddy Jimmy Olson at the boards, making sure that on this beautiful Wednesday, you can hear us blabber on about all the things you expect us to. I'm Bo Bonner, over here in Des Moines, where I direct, uh, am the Director of Mission and Ministry at Mercy College of Health Sciences and the Director of the Zeta Institute. You can check all that out at mchs.edu. Bud, out at Pittsburgh, what are you doing out there in the Three Rivers town? I'm here as director of the National Institute for Newman Studies. You can find out about our work at newmanstudies.org. So, Bud, notice that I said Three River Town instead of two baseball team town. I think at the top of the show, we have to we have to come clean that we were making predictions about the baseball year that uh, we made the wrong predictions. So let's start with it. We thought you were going to be able to watch at least two major league baseball teams throughout the summer. Uh, not, of course, from the stands, but like maybe listening outside. Uh, what what happened with the Blue Jays? What did what did Antonio Brown or you or uh, French fries do to to make that not happen? You know what? I actually didn't read the fallout. I just saw that the morning of the show. We were really psyched because it sounded like a done deal, and then. That afternoon, um, on the old Twitter sphere, it sounded like the idea had been mixed, but I never got a sense of like what the problem was. I don't know if it was, you know, city officials being concerned about, you know, just that many more people traveling here, et cetera. But you know about I'm actually not too sad now because it's looking increasingly pessimistic that fans are gonna be allowed into the stadium. So I don't know. You know, the cool thing would have been to like go to a Blue Jays game, but if it's just a matter of having it like streamed from Pittsburgh, not as big of a deal for me. That's right. Well, I didn't know if, you know, maybe there would be cool new sandwiches or confections that Pittsburgh would make up in honor of the Blue Jays that maybe had like poutine on them, you know, to celebrate the, the uh, Canada connection. And like I said, we, we really whiffed on this one because the big news is uh, that the, the, the Marlins presumably with more money and tests than most of us have access to, didn't even last one series before they had to postpone other games. Everyone else seems to be doing good, at least coronavirus-wise. We got Astros getting people uh, you know, pitched at and things like this. But all in all, wonderful to have baseball back. Uh, uh, I don't know if it, like you said, if we can call it return to normal with the empty stands or the cardboard, cardboard cutouts or uh, Lord forbid the horrible Fox uh, fake uh, computer generated fans, but it was nice to be able to cheer on, you know, you and I cheering on the Cardinals. I know we got a lot of Cubs fans that listen. Uh, it was just nice for baseball to be back. Yeah, it was nice. And that's a crazy story about the Marlins. I mean, I guess it goes to show you that if, if the virus enters a situation, just how communicable it can be, like the entire rest of baseball had zero positives this week and the Marlins had 15. So yeah, yeah. no, be it's more uh, careful Marlins. It's probably outside of their control. <laughs> probably 
or probably not. But the idea is uh, it's it's nice to return to a little bit of normal. Um, As always, as normal, uh, we are underwritten by Mercy College of Health Sciences, mchs.edu. Trying to do our best to return to some sense of normal. Of course, all colleges have to uh, duck and weave and roll with the punches when it comes to COVID. But we've been trying to do a a great job about that over at Mercy College. I know, for instance, that we have a a very limited way people... uh, figuring out how to do things like um, uh, getting in there and uh, when when uh, we have the opportunity to have labs or something like this or uh, even people uh, in clinical settings, you know, being, being very careful but making sure that all of that uh, necessity of becoming a nurse or a health practitioner in the allied health, uh, we've been working hard on that. And so it's also good uh, to know that when fall comes around, it won't be completely back to normal, but sort of like baseball, it will be nice for the fall semester to come back again and just be one more thing, bud, where we're on the tr- the back on the trail of doing things like we used to. Yeah, that will feel great, and it's it's really great to have Mercy College and and the medical center right there in the heart of Des Moines. So, um, yeah, we're really honored to have them as an underwriter for the show. So, bud, we're going to do something we haven't done for a while is we're actually going to have uh, just a you and me talk session. Uh, we Sometimes we alternate between that, but it's been a while. We've actually had quite a few guests on. We always love our guests, and it's nice to talk to people. But today we wanted to even uh, not only get back to the basics of you and I speaking together, uh, but get back to the basics of the show and try to um, always uh, touch base with what is the common good, but then the idea of how does that relay into the situation we're in. So, what does the common good have to do with common sense, but also the sense of the common folk? Uh, you're, of course, a Newman scholar, and he made a big deal about the census fidelium, the sense of the people, and uh, to talk about not only those matters in church matters, uh, but also world matters as well. So looking forward to uh, talking about that today. Yeah, you know, for me, uh, of course, none of us would welcome these situations or call them down upon ourselves, but it has been fascinating that I think COVID and some of the other things that our country is passing through has brought the sort of concerns that we have to the fore. And, um, you know, whereas previously it might've been easy to tune some of it out with Netflix or social media or whatever, you know, some of these questions that we've tried to address on the show have become really pressing. So I'm looking forward to today's conversation. So folks, like we're saying, you want to make sure to stick around. It's going to be a wonderful show. And uh, like I said, uh, we, we've had guests on. We've had a string of uh, really wonderful shows that we hope that you get a chance to go back and listen to. We podcast all of those shows. And so uh, if, you, if you missed any of them. But today it's going to be uh, Bud and I talking about the common good, common sense, and the sense of the common. And hopefully we're able to ground uh, you know, our talk in the foundation of the show and make it applicable to your lives. This is the Uncommon Good, and we'll be back right after this. Folks, if you have questions for the show or comments, uh, we'd love to hear them, and it's easy to send them. All you have to do is text the zip with line. 515-223-1150. 515-223-1150. The zip with line. Just text that number, and it will go to uh, the old folks down there at the office. They will let us know your questions and your comments. We've taken feedback before. We love to hear from you guys. Uh, the, we went away from the Eagle Screech, back to the Eagle Street Screech, all because we listened to our fans on the Zip With Live. 515-223-1150. 515-223-1150. Your connection to our show and the rest of Iowa Catholic Radio. We'd love to hear from you. 
This is the Uncommon Good, Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr, and we'll be back right after these messages. Stressing about bills, saving for college, or preparing for retirement can affect your peace and your relationship with God. Through a grant from the Iowa Division of Insurance, Financial Literacy is an unbiased financial education program that is engaging, empowering, motivating, and available for free. Learn more at iowacatholicradio.com. Grail Contractor serves Des Moines and Central Iowa for all earth moving and excavating needs. Family owned since 1959, Grail Contractor will complete a project you can be proud of on budget and on time. Grail Contractor, 515-221-9669 or grailcontractor.com. There are millions of children that go hungry every day. Thank you to Skeffington's Formalware for supporting Mary's Meals. Their vision is that every child in the world should be able to receive at least one good meal every day in a place of education. Mary'sMealsUSA.org Thank you, Big Red Q Quick Print, for underwriting the sports report. Family owned and operated since 1980, Big Red Q Quick Print is a full-service print shop ready to help you with all your printing needs with speed and accuracy. BigRedQ-DesMoines.com Thanks to Blessman International for their support of Iowa Catholic Radio. Every year, Blessman International leads teams of Central Iowans to share the compassionate heart of Christ with orphans and vulnerable children in South Africa. You can learn more and sign up for a trip at blessmaninternational.org. Thank you, Dental Associates, for supporting Dowling Catholic Sports 365. Dental Associates, addressing your smile, needs, and dreams. 515-225-6742. Online at demoin-dentalassociates.com. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and Be Not Afraid is provided by Dream Dirt Farm Real Estate and Auction. Learn more at DreamDirt.com, including their online auction house, FarmBid, at bid.dreamdirt.com. Dream Dirt Farm and Equipment Auction Services, farm auctions done right. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio's broadcast of Dowling Catholic Sports and Activities is provided by Kemen. Kemen strives to sustainably transform the quality of life every day for 80% of the world with their products and services. Kemen, using science to transform the world. Online at Kemen.com. We're back with the Uncommon Good. Bob Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr joining you this Wednesday. Thank you for listening to the show. We're glad to have you with us. Today on the show, it's going to be Bud and I getting back to some basics and trying to extrapolate them to the situation that we all find ourselves in. Uh, it's six months into this year, getting ready to really start the end of uh, summer when August begins. That's the, the you know the, the the clock is telling you that summer is quickly dwindling and that we're going to figure out how to get back in the fall and everything like that. It's also been uh, let me see if it's March, April, May, June, July. This is getting into the fourth and fifth month of uh, COVID and all of the sort of uh, alternations we've made in civic life and in our personal lives uh, because of that. And dwelling on all of these things, it, it's important to think about the basics in order to uh, not only discern where we've been so far, but how the situation, which can seem fever pitched in its own way, uh, that we as Catholics can try to discern the sign of the times. And to do so, like I said, it's always best to go back to the most basic points. So for our show, the common good uh, is the common root, of course, from everything that we talk about. We try to bring in a diverse aspect of topics, always trying to point out how they have something to do with the common good or at least Catholic social teaching and the social reign of Jesus Christ. And we hope you've enjoyed us being able to do that in, in, in episodes uh, very recently trying to talk with folks that have been doing some of that work uh, with the most pressing topics of the day. But to talk about the common good, it's important just to start over or start afresh and say, what is the common good? And the common good is the good that not, so like, just important for people to realize, it's not the collective good, 
nor is it simply some sort of middle good between collective good and individual goods. So if you think of collective goods, that's the goods for society as a whole, whatever society you're talking about, the family, a team, a nation, the entire state, the church, a common good is a good, uh, a collective good, excuse me, is a good for everyone involved in that collective. And then you also have, of course, individual or personal goods, goods for me as a person uh, that I myself enjoy, uh, not necessarily at the exclusion of others, but oftentimes the case, but at least I am individually enjoying them. The common good in Catholic social teaching argues that the highest personal goods that I can have can only be had in common with everyone else. These are the goods that to use them is to not exhaust them. So another way to say that is unlike other goods that are goods of privation or goods of, uh, that, that, that dwindle away if they're used or if they're divided, they become less. The common good is all those goods in which using them among more people does not extinguish them, diminish them, or in any way uh, alter uh, the ability to enjoy them. So the highest good for a person, for an individual, the highest goods are ones held in commons with others. Unity brotherhood, love, they can sound like abstractions, but then you get into the idea of communion, so communion of the church. To be in communion with the church is the highest good for an individual, but it can only be had in common. I can't have my own individual communion with the Catholic Church. Communion is something that the entire church has and that the members don't exhaust by sharing it. And so the highest goods are those that we have in common, we don't mean the word common as in, uh, you know, rough and ready or, you know, unrefined. There's another way, uh, another sense of that word in English. But it is something that no matter who you are, whether you're an aristocrat or a commoner, thinking through the ages, not necessarily nowadays, that it's something that is common to all people and that social rank can't exclude. And if it does, something is wrong with the society. Indeed, the common goods, if we don't have them in general, there is a way in which they are injured, not because they're diminished by being shared, but precisely when they aren't shared, they are diminished. And the common good then is this constant uh, foundation we all must go back to as Catholics to ask ourselves in the world and ethics and in what we're doing, are we attuned to that common good, the highest good all individuals can have, but can only have in common with everyone else. So, Bud, I know that I uh, blabbed on for a bit there, but just to, 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 to center this, when we think about the common good, A, is it your experience that maybe people don't quite understand that nuance about that individuals have to participate in the common goods together with others? And do you think that there's, that, that might be one of the difficulties we're facing is there's various things stacked against us now in 2020 to make understanding the common good that way uh, accessible to, to people? I think there is. And one of the, the biggest misunderstandings with what you pointed out, though, shows up um, in the writings of John Paul II. Not, it's not a misunderstanding that he has. It's a misunderstanding that he isolates and shines a light on. And that is the common good is not the accumulation of individual goods. So when you and I talk together, sometimes with students, when you first broach this conversation, and I know thinking back to my younger days, I had this kind of default mindset that you could 
approach the common good by sort of adding up the individual goods that each person possesses. But that's really more so like um, a way of thinking that's in line with what we talked about last week, a tradition of liberalism that says that, you know, each person sort of has the prerogative or the right to pursue their own understanding of happiness and rightful authorities, state authorities, the only role they play is to keep us from, so to speak, bumping into each other. So I'm going to, maybe you could help me with this one, Bo. I'm going to butcher this quote, but there was like a Supreme Court justice, I believe, that said, your rights stop where your nose meets my fist. <laughs> and I, but the idea is, the idea is that like, I mean, that's still operating with this assumption that like people can sort of pursue their own goods as long as they don't like infringe on other folks. But to, but to live in common, to live in a society or a community inevitably involves fundamental questions about what, like, what are the goods that we're all seeking? And I, th- I think this is clear, Bo, like recently with the kind of stressors on our society with COVID and debates about when we should open up, how we should open up, does a person have to wear a mask or not wear a mask? What you begin to see is that, you know, really important things are at stake and there's no way to answer these questions or live these answers out without, you know, broaching the topic of the common good to the point. I mean, I don't want to sound too apocalyptic just 10 minutes into the show. I was going to save this for the, uh, for the final stretch, but you know, like today (laughs) today in some context, I mean, you can have people talking about like, breaking America up into a commonwealth or even like, you know, for the more extreme voices, like the idea of like preparing for a civil war. But I do think you get a sense these days that like the rubber band is being stretched. And the reason why is that, you know, there are very different conceptions of the good that are operative in our society right now. Yes. And I think that uh, it's, it's exactly right to talk about the overstretched rubber band and then the immediate uh, direction that people go in this thought about that, which we thought could be held together, breaking into pieces. And that's true with, uh, like you said, the most apocalyptic political thought, certainly in the church, uh, you know, throughout time, this is exactly the struggle of, um, you know, what is orthodoxy talking about dogmas um, the Reformation, all of these things. But again, in our time within the Catholic Church, people start talking about de facto separations or schisms and things like this. And it seems to me, Bud, to make sense that when we stop being able to easily imagine the good common goods, the goods that we have in common, that individuals, the highest goods that they can have are goods that they share with others, that the idea that there's some sort of thread that we all have in common, if it's pulled away, that we start seeing the sweater unravel or the boats all, you know, tra- travel off to sea. You know, we start getting into the metaphors about what we think is happening now. And it's easy to see the polarization. Uh, any of us who deal with uh, social media can see that on all of the hot button issues today, uh, there's at least two sides, if not more. And, uh, you know, doggone it, there's experts and videos and everything that you can marshal to try to show which side that you supposedly, you know, the, the side you belong on becomes very important. And uh, the idea that there could be a common court that we could all judge these things becomes more distant and difficult to imagine insofar as we lose this idea of goods that we hold in common. Um, I, what people will, 
will start to talk about in situations like this, but is they'll appeal to like, well, people don't have common sense anymore. Uh, if, if people just had common sense, you know, if they, they would just, you know, try to, with their, their natural light of their ability to think, you know, look at the situation and just sort of see it as it is. And um, the idea of common sense being the, the every man's ability uh, to kind of weigh what's going on and make the proper decision. I'd have to say 2020 seems to be uh, the standing argument against there being something like uh, the common sense answer to these things. Um, but I think that goes back again to defining terms. So common sense, the word has a long history to where it gets to what we mean in the modern American context. But it goes all the way back to Aristotle. Thomas Aquinas talks about it. The idea of the common sense, bud, is what is it that holds all of the actual perceptual senses together? So in Aristotle and Thomas, you have the exterior senses, so sight, smell, all of those. But then they actually talk about four interior senses. So this is where they're getting into things like uh, uh, imagination and, and things like this. What, what are the senses that you have that go on within you? But one that he really points out as being important is the common sense, the sense that actually brings all the others together. And, you know, without having any sort of uh, ability to understand how the brain works or neurons or, you know, mental life being in, in many ways for centuries shrouded uh, from how, you know, synapses fire or anything like this, I, I think it's actually sort of brilliant to think about how thousands of years ago what Aristotle and then people like Thomas Aquinas trans, uh, pointing out later we're talking about is it's not enough to just perceive the world. There's a way in which your mind, your soul, we'd say our, our brains, present the world as a total whole to us. And so th this is what they call the common sense, the sense that brings them together so that you can have a sort of conscious operating, I don't know, picture uh, world in which to operate. And they make the point that if your common sense is not well attuned, you can have the best set of eyes in the world, ears that are like, uh, you know, radars. But if you can't put it all together, but it's going to make a picture that's warped and make your ability to walk about in the world difficult. And in that idea, in that concept, I would say common sense in a sort of at least metaphorical way is very much lacking for all of us, because when you pull the common good away, now all of these different sense perceptions that we have of the world, the economic one, the scientific one, the religious one, the ethical one, now they stop being something that creates a picture that we can operate in, and now they're just competing white noise that makes it difficult to understand what we're going to do and what I have to do. So in one more way, but if we go back to the root of a term, the common good and now the common sense, it makes sense that we've, we're lacking that and that makes it extremely hard to judge what we're supposed to do as parents, as children, as, as church members, as citizens in a very confusing time uh, to be alive. Yeah, that's right. And one thing we've tried to emphasize on the show as well is that when we come at these questions, we never do so with like a universal rationality. And what I mean by that is we're all influenced by our circumstances and our context. That doesn't mean that there can't be like an objective truth or like we lack the ability to see the truth, but it does, you know, it's just being honest about um, the localized nature of all human experience. So when I think about that, Bo, and I'm going to preface this by saying, 
I love our country. I'm fully patriotic. And I think like seeking the good of the homeland is something that Catholics are called to. That being said, I think there are unique elements of American culture that make it difficult for us to sometimes have the kind of common sense that you're referring to. And what I have in mind, Bo, I mean, feel free to like push back or offer some qualifications to some of this. But you think about our history and how as a nation we were born in revolt against, you know, a govern a governing authority, how a lot of times the American experience involved frontier land. And so that was that was people and communities like uh, sort of like staking out life in harsh circumstances, oftentimes like outside of the reach of what we would call like civilization, right? And so there's a lot of like strengths that come with that. I think America has always had this kind of like, uh, I don't know, I'm, I'm fishing for the right terminology. Like Pi- Pioneer talks, spirit. Yeah, pioneer spirit. Um, rugged individualism, self-reliance, you know, like all those could be put in sort of like positive and negative keys. But today, when we're faced with, I'm, I'm going to say like a true crisis and like a public health situation, and I'm not even going to pick sides at this point because I'm afraid the zip whip line will just explode. But, you know, like a lot of times we, we refract these questions through the lens of like individual rights, distrust of authority <laughs> on down the line. And, okay, I'll stick my neck out a little bit. That's less helpful when walking through a pandemic. Um, I don't know. Am I, <laughs> am I off kilter there? No, and I think that, you know, there's a way in which even, you know, the, the, the devil tries to take whatever is a positive or a virtue of a person or a people and pervert it in a way that um, in order, like you said, to point out the difficulty can sound like we're kiboshing the entire virtue. And so I would say that Americans uh, broadly considered uh, with, with what we um, look at our very young history in the grand scheme of things, um, not only was it, like you said, a uh, pioneer spirit or uh, a willingness to face hardships in order to stake out new claims, um, uh, whether it's, you know, going west or uh, going to the moon. You know, you can talk about this in various ways and that that even our narratives of, of people overcoming hardship that was uh, thrown at them uh, so that to to overcome those difficulties like Frederick Douglass. Uh, you know, when he's talking about his escape from slavery, America sort of, on one hand, makes it where individuals, um, you know, the, the great men of Europe, that, that that's one sort of Whig interpretation of history, right? It's like Napoleon and everyone like, and those are the people you need to study. But then people will point out that life on the ground, right? There's like sort of like the way that people in Northern France act, and oh, well, they're Welsh, right? You, like you hear this when you talk, hear people about Europe, um, even sort of like more tribal cultures, uh, various parts of Western Africa, some of the Native American tribes, that you'll hear in their philosophies this idea of this is who we are, we see ourselves as a group. In America, we we did that. I mean, like the, the fact and, and point of this in the church, right, is that, you know, people often go, well, well, there's the Irish church and there's the German church and there's the Polish church. But we even be- so that what used to be sort of a ruddy, hearty, like we're going to do this together, we're going to band together eventually becomes like an individual's choice to be a part of a community rather than a community that makes individuals. Uh, and, and I think that you start to see that precisely in the way that you're saying when, when the hardship ends, uh, when we all start having air conditioning, uh, when, when we all have the internet and things like this, it's easy to start imagining those 
um, ties that bound in hardship becoming sort of like an identity or a consumer choice. And I think exactly like you're saying, Bud, is now that there's a new hardship, the sort of veneer of having a community rather than having one hard fought and won is becoming more evident. And that might be what we're, we're seeing more than anything. Yeah. And um, I hope this doesn't sound like condescending or I, I guess, Bo, in conversations with other Catholics, one thing that I've tried to come back to is, okay, I don't have all the answers and you might have like more information than I do, but no matter where you land, as we're making prudential decisions, have you made this judgment on the basis of solidarity, looking out for the least of these, seeking justice? You see what I'm saying? So I don't yep. know what, what, what concerns me in some ways right now is not that there's disagreement, but that I do see voices, I'll be honest, like Catholic voices, where the key is more like um, American-style libertarianism than, than Catholic social teaching. And so maybe like all of us looking in the mirror, just like uh, putting, our, putting our own judgments under the light of the church's guidance on these questions. Now, one thing we can get into in the second half of the show, Bo, and I'm going to punt this one to you because this is a real struggle for me. Like we, we talk about the virtue of obedience and, you know, honoring authorities. This shows up throughout the New Testament. One tough question for me today is that someone who wants to can find a quote unquote authority that validates whatever position they already, <laughs> already have. You know what I'm saying? Like, Absolutely. so when we talk about, when you talk about listening to public health officials, let's be honest, we're getting conflicting messages on some of these questions. So how, how do we navigate that issue? No, I think that that's important. And uh, also, uh, to, we can talk about that and then put it back into your world to talk about this idea that the sense of the faithful, right? So like we have obedience. So we're talking about in the church, and we'd extrapolate to politics. But in church, you have to be obedient to the proper authorities. But then also, as John Henry Newman points out, there's a sense of the faithful, right, that has its role in uh, the church's understanding of itself. And Bud, we're going to get back to that when we get back from the break. This is Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr. We'll be back right after this. Stick around the Uncommon Good on this Wednesday. Glad to have you. And we'll be back right after this. <laughs> Folks, if you want to keep up with the Uncommon Good and Iowa Catholic Radio, it's easy to do. All you have to do is interact with our social media. First of all, you can go to the website, iowacatholicradio.com. You can listen live. You can donate. You can sign up for newsletters to keep up with everything that's going on, see people's pictures, see how the, uh, the schedule of the shows and everything like that at iowacatholicradio.com. You can also go to Facebook, look up iowacatholicradio.com and friend us, and we'll be friends, and you can keep up with our posts. Same with Twitter, at iacatholicradio. If you sign up and uh, friend us and follow us, You'll see our tweets and be able to see what we're doing on the air and when things get back to normal in and around the diocese. And finally, you can download the Iowa Catholic Radio app anywhere that you can pick up data. You can pick up the show, listen live, donate, do many things as well. 
We hope that you're able to interact with us, and we look forward to seeing you on those platforms. This is The Uncommon Good, and we'll be back right after this. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and Christ is the Answer with Father John Ricardo is provided by Confluence Brewing Company, brewed locally and featuring regular, seasonal, and limited-release beers available at local stores, bars, and restaurants. Confluence Brewing Company at 1235 Thomas Beck Road, off the bike trail south of Grays Lake, and online at confluencebrewing.com. Confluence Brewing Company offers curbside service and would like to thank you for your support. Thank you, Confluence Brewing Company, for your support of Iowa Catholic Radio. Partial support for Catholic Women Now comes from injury attorney Fred Haas. When Iowans have been injured through no fault of their own, in a car, truck, or motorcycle accident, harmed in a work-related injury, or suffered injury due to negligence of others, Fred Haas has been on their side to help recover from financial, physical, and emotional loss. Fred, double D, Haas, double A. Online at fredhaas.com. The Des Moines Law Offices of Fred Haas. While we have time, let us do good. Since 1924, St. Vincent de Paul has been helping those less fortunate work towards self-sufficiency. Last year, St. Vincent de Paul helped over 20,000 individuals with food, clothing, and shelter, while also offering classes in financial literacy, high school completion, career readiness, and prisoner re-entry. SVDPDSM.org, 515-282-8327. Shop, donate, volunteer, serve. This message was brought to you by Homemakers Furniture. Here's your forecast on Iowa Catholic Radio. Looks like a mix of sun and clouds and maybe a shower or two this afternoon. Upper 80s. Scattered showers this evening and then just cloudy overnight down to about 70. Cloudy and cooler tomorrow, low 80s. The weather is brought to you by Rock Valley Physical Therapy. Outstanding outpatient physical therapy and sports medicine rehabilitation with seven convenient locations in the Des Moines metro and southwest Iowa area. I'm meteorologist Steve Hamilton on Iowa Catholic Radio. Back to the Uncommon Good. Bob Bonner and Dr. Bud Mara joining you this Wednesday. Thank you for joining our show. It's wonderful to have you with us today. Bud and I are talking about the concept of the common good, the foundation that roots the entirety of our show, talking about how common good uh, influences and leads to having some common sense about the difficulties of our day. And then eventually going to talk about the sense of the common or the sense of the people, the common people, and what that has to do in regard to authority, making judgments, everything like that. So, Bud, when we left off, you threw a question at me to say, what do you do with the idea that we're supposed to be obedient and that obedience is good and the Catholic Church has always talked about the necessity of obedience, not only for individual souls, but in, again, in a sort of communal sense. But what do we do about obedience when there's uh, an overabundance of self-proclaimed experts uh, asking for your obedience? And I, I think it gets important to go back to the idea once more that, okay, the common good to just reset real quick with people is not a collective good or the sum aggregate of individual goods. The common good is the good, the highest good individuals can have, but they can only be had when they are shared in common with others. Things like communion in the church, unity in a polity, things like this. And they're things that when they're shared, they are not broken apart. Love is a, a good that is held in common that certainly does not diminish when it is shared. Um, and we go forward from there asking what are these highest goods and how can we Share them, and indeed, the only way you really uh, make them diminish is when you don't share them widely enough. 
And then the common sense is not just enough to say, oh, what it is that, you know, the every man on the street thinks about a situation or if you cloud away and get away ideology and your book learning, like what does your gut tell you or something like this. It actually dates back to Aristotle saying, what is the sense in common that uh, allows all of the exterior senses to be put together in a picture inside your soul, let's say Aristotle, our brains, we would say nowadays, perhaps. But the idea that all of those senses have to have a common thread in order for us to walk about and deal with the world. And so by analogy, um, if we don't have a common thread that sort of ties together all the different perceptions we have of our reality, communal and individualized, we're not going to be able to make uh, proper judgments walking about in the world, both the human one and the, so to speak, uh, natural one. So when we get into the question of obedience and who we should obey, we have to keep in mind the common good and this more basic understanding of the common sense. Obedience uh, is about not just doing what people say. I think that's step one. When you have someone like St. Benedict in his holy rule telling his, uh, his monks that we're going to uh, listen to what Jesus tells us about attaining heaven through the bright weapons of obedience— I love that idea, the bright weapons of obedience. Obedience stops being mere passivity. Obedience starts being a positive thing. I must be obedient. Um, I must have the freedom in order to be obedient. So I'm, again, I'm just talking as an oblate, thinking about it in those terms. Everything about obedience presumes you came to the monastery, you did these things. Of course, we want children to be obedient to their parents, and it's not like you choose your parents it's not like you choose the fact that you were born into the universe, but there's this modicum of to say that in order to be obedient, instead of just being forced, that you understand your role in being obedient. So when we talk about that, so we, we, th- that, that avoids the vice of obedience being seen as merely being a doormat. But then the other vice is sort of the other extreme, that obedience becomes just a matter of I choose who my master is, right? And then in this really weird way, obedience becomes the height of pride. I get to choose uh, how humble I am and towards whom. And this can sound like, oh, there's no way that this ever comes up. But St. Bernard of Clairvaux actually has in his uh, book, The Steps of Pride and Humility, he talks about exactly this, that It's even in monks uh, in general, right, who when they decide what's going to show their humility, they actually show not obedience, but a sort of uh, perverse pride. So all this is to say is obedience is going to be difficult in the world that we live in, bud, like you said, because of the speed of information, its wide availability, and the sort of difficulty of using filters to filter out whom we should be obedient to. But what's important comes back down to one more time, that interior sense. What is the sort of way, what is the spirit in which you approach obedience? And this is where they'll talk about docility of heart, that it's the heart when it is obedient, uh, when it when it perverts obedience into sort of self-abasement becomes a perverse judge, right? Like one of the weirdest things about people who hate themselves is it's this sort of perverse pride because I become the judge of my own life when only God can truly be the judge. But on the other side, the other way that we pervert obedience is if I choose whom to be obedient to once more, I'm the king and sovereign that's choosing it. Docility of heart 
is saying that whatever I'm going to be obedient to, I'm truly going to lay at the feet of that, uh, not only expert, but that person in my life to provide the, the guidance to, to, to submit my will to the rule of another. And so, of course, in church history and in the being a good and faithful servant of the church, this is why we don't only owe obedience to uh, the magisterium, the teaching authority of the church in extraordinary ma- matters, right? Of course, the dogmas and things like this. But we at least need to submit to being guided by even the ordinary magisterium, meaning that the ordinary way that the church teaches, those aren't sort of dogmatic, infallible statements, but it's a way in which we habituate our will to be docile rather than perversely obedient in the two ways that I just talked about. Now, but I don't think that solves the question for you about like which doctor should I listen to. But hopefully what that means is when we look at the cacophony of information online, instead of going out online to find what I secretly already think about the situation, or when I go online to secretly decide that I'm just a big dummy and that I could never make informed decisions, that we have the docility, the habit of docility to say, I'm going to put before my intellect and my prudence listening to people and truly trying to be docile to hear them, realizing that I'm going to have to make the difficult decision to not believe all of them, but to be docile enough to look at my listening itself and the decision I make and say, am I secretly being my own ruler rather than submitting to a proper authority to rule me? And that is a long winded answer to your question, (laughs) but I hope it helps, bud. Yeah, I think in this matter, I do keep coming back to the lives of the saints. And one of my favorite books is Abandonment to Divine Providence. Um, I'm going to butcher the last name, Casson. It's it's a French name. Um, but this question that you're raising, Bo, or this, this virtue of obedience and docility of heart, uh, it's grounded in a trust in divine providence. And you see this with great saints like Padre Pio, uh, St. Therese of Lisieux, uh, where like with, with Pio, for instance, funny enough with how much we venerate him today, it's like, this is a stigmatist who performed all these great miracles in his lifetime. There was some mistrust by, uh, the local ordinary. And so his Bishop at one point asked, uh, Padre Pio to remove himself from public ministry to basically retire to, um, a monastery to pray. And, you know, Looking back, we might say like, ah, you know, easy call. But at the time, you know, Padre Pio is hearing all these confessions. He's performing these great healings, etc. I don't know, knowing my own heart, it would have been easy to say like, well, the bishop is kind of cramping my style and God has this great work for me to do. But St. Padre Pio humbled himself. He accepted this directive. And then, you know, God, of course, took that humility and that sacrifice and it bloomed into something great. Now, we might not be called to that level of like heroic virtue, but you look at someone like Therese in her little way, you know, her life in a convent, when she, she longed to join a religious order, but when she did join, you know, she received a, a lot of like petty, quote unquote, persecution from her fellow sisters, from um, the, the mother superior, where a lot of times, you know, according to her journals, they asked her to do menial work that no one else wanted to do. You know, she was she was chastised on occasions for wrongs that were attributed to her falsely, et cetera. 
and so in our life, you know, again, um, we, we have to hear this correctly. Neither you or I are saying that like we have to be doormats as Christians, but what's powerful about the gospel and the way of the cross is that our Lord actually disarms the principalities and powers and he, he, he shines forth true, true justice by this kind of self-abasement. And so you see, even in the teachings of Christ, that sometimes he, he, he um, admonishes this kind of like overreaching. If someone, you know, insists on taking your jacket off or the shirt off your back as well, if someone strikes you as one cheek, turn the other. And this isn't being a doormat. This is actually shoving back in the oppressor's face the own injustices that he's perpetuating. And we've seen throughout history that this kind of like witness is, is powerful and that God, you know, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it can't spring forth to new life. That God precisely brings about the uh, longest lasting and most majestic forms of life from the witness of those who are willing to die to self. Um, and so again, you know, I'm not ready to proffer like precise questions to maybe the answers that our listeners have but i think we always have to be like seeing it uh through that lens no but i actually think that's uh a a great way to put it there's the obvious way in which um bad people will always abuse people who think that the injunction of the lord is to be stomped over by people who are willing to take advantage of you but it's like you said it's usually with these great saints after they've shown that they do have this sort of uh, um, this freedom themselves that in a way they're willing to sort of step into uh, the, the, you know, step into the middle and take the brunt of like abusive habits and things like this uh, over against their brothers and sisters uh, because they truly are in a place to do that. And like you said, this is not to say that like oh, what you should do is just be bulldozed over, but nor should you use, uh, the sort of perverted, you know, hu- oh, I'm so humble because I'm choosing what these to do. It's it's sort of the interesting part as you look through history is, yeah, you're right. So many saints take the brunt of certain abuse within the church itself even, um, but are willing to see that as even the Lord providing uh, the opportunity uh, for a sort of purification. When that translates into what are you going to do as uh, as a parent, for instance, with uh, your children in school, or who should I believe about what when it comes to advice? Um, I'm hoping that what people hear is that not to say like, shut up and just listen to what the powers that be say, precisely as you said, when they don't all agree, but also because, Bud, you and I have taught bioethics. There's plenty of times when medicine wielded its authority to abuse people, the Tuskegee experiment. I mean, we can go through all of them, but again, to say like very well aware that it's not the case that whatever some expert says that is obviously going to be true. But there's a vast difference between approaching that, always looking for the disruptive individual way to undermine the authority, or like I said, just to proof text what you already believe, and instead take on the role of humble, docile heart, listens to people, uh, and then the sort of proactive, positive way that listening is never just uh, receiving information, but so to speak, sounding forth and and trying to make these, you know, to discern as well. And I think an interesting way to show this, and hopefully that we can make an analogy back out to to all things, is this idea in the church of the sense of the faithful. And again, in your wheelhouse, John Henry Newman specifically talks about the importance of the sense of the faithful, that of course we have 
the magisterial teaching authority of the church. We have the dogmas. We have all of these things. But the sense of the faithful plays a role as well. I know that we're we're getting towards the end of the show, but is there a way that you you could maybe encapsulate that so that we can then imagine what that means for us, not only in terms of questions about the church nowadays, but but even in sort of our political life as Catholics? Yeah, I can. Before I jump into that, I mean, just one more point that I would throw out there is I think sometimes, Bo, when we talk about obedience to authorities or docility of heart, we kind of think like there's an either or like I, I either listen to this person who you know, I can see clearly that they're wrong. Um, and, and, and so it's like it's either like capitulating in a thoughtless manner or like I follow the path on my own. But I really think at some point we're all going to be subject to someone. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> in, in the sense that like so say, for instance, when we think about being a Catholic today, we sort of think like, well, I, I see better. I'll just throw it out there than the bishops. But what ends up happening is it's not like it's not like I either follow the bishop or just like have a monopoly on the truth. What usually ends up ha- happening is we like follow a guy on YouTube who's become a de facto bishop, right? Uh, Absolutely. That's yeah. Bob Dylan. <laughs> Bob Dylan has an entire song about you, you got to serve someone, right? You got to serve someone. And so uh, if you're not going to serve your bishop, no, I mean, you're, I, I think this is exactly right, is you can think that like, oh, well, I'm making this decision for myself, but I'm like, you know, you probably, it's very unlikely you cooked up that idea on your own. I think that's exactly right. And so, um, you know, and then the, even if you are serving yourself, the vision of hell is to say, not thy will, but mine be done. And so hell itself is God, like turning us over to our own selfish desires, right? Um, Absolutely. Yeah, I, I mean, you're saying, it, you're saying it better than I am, but um, we don't want that either. <laughs> but with your, with your question about the sense of the faithful, um. Actually, can you jump in? I'm kind of I'm kind of drawing a blank here. <laughs> yeah, no, no. So, like, the idea, of course, is that within the church, there, there's some people. I would say that, like, in an, uh, not an ancient idea, but there's there's been this idea throughout the time that, like, you know, we have the deposit of faith, and then we have the teaching authority, and then really all you're supposed to do, the only thing you have to do as uh, a lay faithful is to, you know, the like again, this is sort of like what our enemies say about us: pray, pay, and obey. But John Henry Newman and, and people commenting on him pointed out that there is an important way in which the sense of the faithful plays a role in the, the what he called the development of doctrine, which is not, the, like you said, the invention of doctrine, but the sort of unfolding of uh, the deposit of faith. And I think Newman really had in mind uh, Marian doctrines, right, about like how the importance of uh, the faithful's understanding of Mary led to dogmatic claims, not only like with the Immaculate Conception, but like on back uh, throughout history. And I think that that might be important for us to recall right now. Yeah, that that's right. And that's where, um, with the sense of the faithful, it really isn't like, like you're saying, it isn't like a flipping off the flipping off your brain. It's, um, it is a shared, it is a shared good, the faith. And it's something that we're all called to preserve and protect. And so the faithful are called into this mutual discernment, and that has to be remembered uh, just as well. Uh, the, the point that I was thinking earlier about submission and everything is that we also have to remember that we all enter into these covenant relationships. And that's what I'm saying, like being, like being the ruler of your own life would be a kind of hell. 
but like in the Catholic faith with, with marriage, there's a mutual submission with the communion of the church. There's um, submission at different levels. Right. And that's where this is a dynamic process where each of us are called to receive the faith, to embrace the faith. And then like that conversion that we're called to doesn't take place just at one moment in time. I mean, that's sort of what I grew up with as an evangelical where Jesus calls me, I accept him, you know, make that decision. And once I pray the sinner's prayer, like I'm sort of set, but this life of faith, both on an intellectual level. And when you talk about obedience or prudential judgments that lead to a life of greater faithfulness, that takes place each and every day across time. And all of us are called to conform ourselves more and more to the life of Christ. And this takes place precisely through the kind of covenants that I'm talking about. Those aren't like burdens or impositions upon our lives. For us to live marriage well, that actually makes us freer. For us to, you know, um, to practice humility and um, to discern the common good together in congregations or as a diocese, like that makes us more free or less free. And that's what we have to keep coming back to in these conversations. I know this is at the very end, but, but yeah, to illustrate what you're saying, like in church history, right, it was the faithful who obediently listened to the teachings who then obediently, you know, prayed to our mother that when a heresy came up trying to say that like Mary wasn't as important than historians, it was precisely the, pa- the people who didn't rebelliously go like, oh, no, that's not my opinion, man. They were like, well, we've said these prayers for years because we were told about the incarnation of yeah. Jesus Christ. So certainly his mom must be important. And then theologians looked at the practice of the people and said, no, they're exactly right. We have to we have to make this dogma. We have to show these things. Um, I think this is actually going on with things like the COVID crisis is um, not people coming up with like conspiracy theories, but people doing like basic practices, maybe not in this one, but I know like with SARS and MERS and things that that we're doing now, like social distancing and masking, what started to happen is doctors noticed that, well, this is how people were sort of naturally responding to uh, these difficulties. And then they go, you know what? There is science behind this, right? And that's what I mean by the sense of the faithful is that by being obedient and not doormat obedient, we actually start to do practices that then authorities in the church throughout society start to recognize and realize the wisdom of. But we, we've come up to the end, so uh, unfortunately we, we have to stop yeah. there. But thanks, man. This is the uncommon good. May Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, reign in our hearts, our families, our cities, our state, our nation, the world, solar system, the whole kitten caboodle. This is the uncommon good, and we'll be back next week. But if people want to keep up with the prayer life of Iowa Catholic Radio, what are ways that they can do so? Yeah, please join us for prayer. We pray the rosary daily at 530 in the morning, 930 a.m. and 930 p.m. We also uh, air the Angelus um, over the waves at six in the morning, but all of those prayer opportunities can be exce- um, can be accessed twenty four seven via the Iowa Catholic Radio app. Absolutely, and folks, uh, we want to thank you for listening to the show, but also supporting us. Iowa Catholic Radio is a ministry that is more than just the people who talk on air. It's more than people at the office, even though they do a great job, Jimmy behind the boards, everybody in the office. It is also your ministry, and you keep us afloat, not only by keeping us in your prayers, which is absolutely important, keeping us on your lips, talking to people, suggesting people that they listen to the shows, forwarding people, uh, different podcasts of the show um, on social media, uh, but also 
through the physical reality of donations. Uh, COVID has messed with everybody's life when it comes to economics and things like this, but certainly nonprofits like Iowa Catholic Radio are doing their best to tread water. We've been doing good. We want to thank you so far. But please keep us in mind as we go ahead. And like I've pointed out before, you can look for the donate button on iowacatholicradio.com, on the Iowa Radio Catholic app, or you can call 515-223-1150. People would love to talk to you about setting up uh, monthly plans for donations and things like this as well. We want to thank you for your prayers, by, for spreading the word, and for donating the show. We really appreciate it. Bud, as always, thanks for uh, talking about the big issues, man. It was good to have uh, just a show with you and me again. I appreciate it, buddy. Yeah, that was fun. Blessings, listeners. This is The Uncommon Good, and we'll be back next week. The Uncommon Good with Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr is heard every week on wonderful Catholic stations like this one and anytime on podcast. Just search for The Uncommon Good.